Back in on Canuck Central. Hour number one is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, we did get so much reaction on our uh, discussion around JT Miller or our uh, brief uh, JT Miller appreciation segment. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there are a lot of texts. We see your text messages. We'll yeah. read a bunch of them coming up at 5. Some people even wanted to call in. Wanted so. to call in and, uh, what, apologize to JT? Or we got the, a few apology texts to yeah. JT Miller. A lot of reaction to JT. So, <laughs> so maybe he is becoming uh, beloved after all. So we'll talk about that coming up at 5. Uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest. It is uh, Mike Kelly with uh, NHL Network. Uh, thanks for this, Mike. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, we're, we're doing awesome. Um, especially with how good the Canucks have been. Uh, we spoke uh, earlier this year, and you know there, that early part of the season, everybody was wondering just how real are these Canucks. And you know it, what, what's been interesting watching is uh, as they've continued to just tear through the Western Conference, like they've seemingly gotten better as the years gone on. Like they've evolved as a team. They've added some things to their game, and uh, to to me, by the eye, they they are definitely improving as the season's gone on. Yeah, they are. And uh, you give them a ton of credit for that. Like the, I, I was with you after the first month. I, my, my opinion was kind of, you know, this is a good team, but I'm not sure they're a great team. And, and I think some things are going to regress a little bit and, and they'll kind of hit their stride as, you know, a team that'll battle for that probably third spot in the Pacific. Um, man, they, they've, yeah, I think you can argue they've gotten better. They, they've certainly had players on their team who have um, really, really been playing well as we've gone kind of through the season, like you automatically, you know, think of the third line and uh, they look really good. Like they look every bit uh, a contender. And there's, I don't know where, like I'd put my first team in the East in terms of cup contenders. When you think about all the teams in the West that are absolutely in that conversation. Yeah. And I think we're all still trying to figure out exactly where the Canucks kind of rank in that. And cause I think you can, I think you can view, the league in a couple of ways in terms of the teams that, that are cup contenders. I think they're the favorites and then teams that can win the Stanley Cup if things go right for them or like they have enough where mm-hmm. they could win the cup. And I think the Canucks are kind of entering that phase now. It's like, well, maybe there is a pathway there for them. Not as favorites, but a pathway to get there potentially. Oh, no question. Um, I mean, coming out of the Pacific is going to be tough in general. I, I think winning that division is so important because if you finish, you know, second or third, you're getting, you know, Edmonton, LA, Vegas, whatever it is. So some, somebody's in there that's, that's tough. Um, if you can win the conference and finish first in that division, I, I think there's a kind of a gap once you get through the top seven teams in the West and then whoever's going to be in that last wild card. Like that, that would be a great position to put yourself in. You got to go through good teams anyways. We, we know that, but um you know, Vancouver's in a good spot. They built themselves a nice lead uh, in the Pacific. Vegas is going through some pretty tough injury stuff right now. LA's fallen off. Edmonton's coming, but they're so far back uh, from their start of the season. So, man, you couldn't dial up a better start for this season uh, if you're a Canucks fan. Yeah, you think about a year ago and uh, how poor they were defensively, and, you know, they didn't really seem like a roster that had a, a lot of, uh, you know, defensive-minded players or guys with great two-way ability. And ever since they brought in Rick Tockett as, as head coach, we've seen the rush chances against go go way down. And I, I just feel like that's, um, you know, in this league, with how many rush chances end up getting scored on, it just feels like if, if you as a team can defend against the rush or you give up fewer odd-man rushes, like you're probably going to end up having some success. Yep. And you know what? They don't create a lot off the rush, um, which is okay when you score on 20 plus percent of your rush chances, which they do, which is an astronomical number. Um, It it just doesn't come down, though. They just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And and we're halfway through the year. So, um, again, but the the reason I'm not even that worried about it with this team, I do think they're overperforming a little bit offensively still. And if there is going to be regression in that sense this year, uh, I think they can survive that because, you know, they're still better than uh, average offensive team. 
But like Seattle rode that wave all of last year. You can do it for mm-hmm. a full year. It doesn't happen often. Um, but even if it does normalize a little bit, like you said, and you bring up a great point, they don't give up a lot off the rush. The top five in rush chances against um, the seventh and expected goals against second and goals against they got Demko. Uh, if you do manage to get something through. So um, I, that's why I think the real is that they can win with good defense, great goaltending, mm-hmm. and then whatever offense you have on top of it, it just happens to be right now that, they can score kind of whenever they want. It seems like. Well, and I think you know, obviously for you to be this good, a lot of things have to have to go your way. You have to have good coaching. You have to have depth, and they certainly have those things up front. But it's also you know the age old thing that if you have high end players, superstars that play to the top of their abilities, it makes such a big difference for your team, especially the way JT's playing, Elias Pettersson, of course, mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes, and then Brock Besser, one of the top goal scorers in the league. So when you have four offensive players playing at like a top 10, 15 level in production wise in the league, well, that's going to probably boost you pretty good isn't it no question and the luxury of being able to put those guys together get the lotto Mm -hmm. line going together because you're getting enough depth scoring elsewhere that's huge like the the bluger line with joshua and garland i mean they i was just looking at this today since the 5th of december um they're the third highest scoring line in the league at five on five so you know, everyone knows what, what JT Miller and, and Pedersen and Besser are doing. So it's, it's great. And again, even if kind of everything's rolling kind of as good as it can, and at some point, some of the top guys might go through a bit of a funk offensively, or you don't get that depth scoring quite as much. Um, they've proven, in my view, at least anyways, they're still a very good team. I think they can overcome some of what may come uh, because these things do happen over the course of a full season um, and, and still be really, really good. If you were to uh, add a player type for this Canucks roster, looking into the the trade deadline season, what what would you what would you think is most needed for for this roster to to maybe take another step forward? Well, I, I like the blue line a lot. They've got they got a lot of size range. We we saw kind of how that worked for Vegas last year, and, and it can work. Um, I mean, if you can add a depth defenseman who's kind of insurance, uh, great, right? Um, you know, can you can you get uh, can you get a middle six center? Um, I'm sure Elias Lindholm's name has come up. I, I think yeah. the, a lot of him is a player. He's having a bit of a tougher year this year than we're used to seeing from him. He, he's not. I know he had the 40 goal kind of 100 point year uh, when Gaudreau and Kachuk popped off playing with him in Calgary. Um, that that's not really what he is. I don't think. But he's he's a 70 plus really good two way kind of all situations player. Um, that, I mean, without question, that would be kind of a home run. Um, so I, I'm sure Vancouver will look at what they can do ahead of the deadline. And if they, you know, you get a little bit closer and you see, uh, I don't, I don't know if they they're in desperate need of anything, mm-hmm. um, other than, you know, maybe they determined, look, we, we think we've got a real shot this year. We're going to, we're going to push our chips in a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, given the M.O. of their general manager, it wouldn't shock me at all uh, for them to be pretty, uh, well, their their president, Jim Rutherford, and their general manager, Patrick Alvin, who has been very active in the trade front ever since becoming the general manager of this hockey team. And when we're kind of looking at, you know, the Western Conference in general, like how many similarities do you see between the Vancouver Canucks and the Winnipeg Jets who are having a great year as well? Yeah, there, there's some for sure. Um, again, the Winnipeg's another team that plays a really, really good defensive system, uh, very connected on the ice, and, and they don't give up a lot. And then they've got a rock star goalie. Like for me right now, if we were talking Vesna Trophy today, uh, Demko and, and Hellebuck in whatever order would be my top two picks. So, um, you know, I, I don't think Winnipeg has the offensive firepower that Vancouver does. They're every bit as good and probably even a little bit better defensively. Um, so it's similar in that sense, without question. Uh, a little more balanced in how Winnipeg uh, scores, but they've had guys step up. You know, this year, Shifley goes down for a bit. Connor was down. Uh, Gabe Velarde shows that he can play on a top line and be a really good scorer. Nick Ehlers, to the frustration of Jets fans everywhere, uh, who always want to see him play in the huge minutes, shows that he can do it when, he, when, when they need him to. Perfetti's been good, so... Um, that, you know, hey, if that ends up being like a conference final, I think everyone in Canada would be happy with that because someone would go to a cup final in this country, but it'd be a good series too. Yeah, I mean, Winnipeg is very similar in the, in the way that they've turned things around. I think both teams, 
struggled defensively uh, a year ago and for whatever reason, the coaches have just got, got more buy. And I, I understand, you know, players, some players have more defensive value and better defensive instincts than others. But when it comes to defending as a team, Mike, is it, is it really just about a coach getting the, getting the buy-in from everybody to, to buy into a more defensive style? It's a big part of it. Like I, I'm down in New Jersey at the NHL network right now. And I've been working here this week and talking about these kind of things with, with, you know, guys that have done it. Um, yeah. And I, I've talked to players a lot about, you know, how much of defense is ability versus work ethic slash commitment slash, you know, I will wear that shot or take that hit. Uh, and they all say it's a lot more of the latter. Yeah. So, like, I think about Winnipeg. Last year, kind of halfway through the year, not quite that much, but pretty close, they were 600-plus points percentage, looking like every bit like that's a formula to win in the playoffs. The last 42 games of the year, they went 500 down the stretch. They had to ride Hellebuck. They snuck in, and then, you know, you get Vegas, and that's that's tough. If Winnipeg plays well and doesn't have to ride Hellebuck so much down the stretch and is playing like this, they can go up against a Vegas. They can go up against anybody, in my view. So um, they've had that kind of buy-in and commitment before. They had it in the first half last year. I don't know why that went away in the second half um, because they did get – uh, their defensive game wasn't nearly as good, but they're all kind of bought into that again. And, uh, and that not only is that a great way to, to, you know, win more than you lose, which is what you're trying to accomplish, but man, does that ever translate in the playoffs when it gets hard? Like those quality rush chances, they always go down to some degree in the playoffs. Dumpins go up, puck paddles go up. It's hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you've got guys that know how to do it and are willing to do it and have been doing it, gives you a big advantage over being kind of a less dimensional team. One, one of the reasons I ask about the the defense part of it, I, I saw the board you posted on Twitter today at Mike Kelly NHL about the, the Ottawa senators and how, you know, it's, it's not gone well since they made the coaching change to, to Jacques Martin, who we all know is forever in his career profiled as, as a guy that's, that's able to coach up the defensive side of the puck for, for his teams. And like Ottawa's just really bottomed out since, since the coaching change, um, what do you make of, of what's happening with the Ottawa Senators right now? Well, it, it's a bit of a perfect storm of things not going well. Like they, uh, I kind of defended the, the, this part of the game for them earlier in the season because they weren't that bad defensively. I mean, they weren't great, but like mm-hmm. everything that I value and have known to be true about evaluating defensive hockey uh, over the years, they were you know, not really worse than average in a lot of ways. And their goaltending wasn't very good. And the two are always connected to some degree. Um, But since the coaching change in the last month, they have been, I mean, they've allowed more goals than any other team per game. They're they're last in the league in that area. Their expected goals has gone from around 10th to to 30th. So that's just the probability of what you're giving up becoming goals. Um, I'll be honest. Like, I think a lot of it, it's a team that has no confidence. I remember watching Edmonton, earlier in the season and they're losing all these games and you know, they're better than that. Right. And they were getting a lot of offensive chances, but man, so many breakdowns defensively. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, these guys are playing like they've, they've got no confidence. And again, I've talked to guys that I work with here who who played in the league and uh, I'm like, you know, can, can you be a star player and really have no confidence? And they're like, yeah, like it's, it's crazy to think that because they've got, history of knowing that they can be elite players but it happens um so i think that's that's a big part of it for ottawa right now and also like i i was high on this team coming into the season i was like there's no reason they shouldn't be a playoff team um and i've missed on a lot of what i thought about them but you look at the team on paper and they they're, they're not that as good as that on the ice um and i guess what i'm trying to say there is like i don't know that it's the right blend of of players there um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're going to look when you hear your hockey operations staff talking about, we want to bring in pros mm-hmm. that that's not a great sign for what's already there, at least in their opinion, when, when you hear a comment like that. Well, and sometimes kind of in that culture, losing culture becomes ingrained. Nobody shows people the right way. And then, you know, the habits kind of become second nature and it gets really hard to break through those. So a bit of a pickle for them in terms of figuring that out, but you're right. They have so much talent. You mentioned the Edmonton Oilers, obviously they had a horrible start to the season. They've won 11 in a row. What are they truly like? Are they this powerhouse that's never going to lose any games anymore, or is it somewhere in the middle? Like, what, what do we, what should we make of the Oilers? Are they finally the team we thought they would be heading into the season? 
Yeah, I, I think they're a lot more of this team than the one we saw earlier. Like, even earlier, I was never that concerned because they were still, like, through the roof in terms of what they were producing offensively. They couldn't score. Like, pucks would not go in the net for them. Um, and that can happen in a kind of small sample. It can happen when you don't have a lot of confidence either. Um, the defensive side, sure, it wasn't great. Um, and they, they were not getting good goaltending at all. So those things will crater you. Uh, now pucks have started to go in for them. And to the credit of, of Knobloch and, uh, you know, Paul Coffey and, and the new people they have behind the bench as well, penalty kill has been outstanding. Um, their defensive play has been much, much better. And Stuart Skinner has benefited from that, but he's also been a lot better. And Skinner's gone on runs like this before. Um, but when you look at the sample of his young career, I don't know that you can trust him to play at this level forever. So, you know, if that comes back down to earth a little bit, yeah, you're going to let in a few more. And uh, again, they can score so much that I, I absolutely think they're, they're more a weapon of a team um, than anything like we saw at the start of the year. But I, my view has not changed where with Edmonton, I think they are a very, very good team as is. Um, but if they don't have a plan B in net, then I, I have a hard time saying they're like a number one cup contending team because again, you just go back to the playoffs last year. Skinner wasn't very good uh, for big stretches and, and you can score a lot and overcome it sometimes, but I think they really, if they, you know, they want to be, they want to try to take this thing all the way, which they do. Uh, they need a better plan B if he, he does falter at points again this spring. And yeah, they certainly would have to. Uh, one more before I let you go here, 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 Mike, and great stuff as always. The LA Kings have one win in their last 10 games, but you look through the public data, everything looks so favorable to them. Even their differentials uh, still look good. One of the better goals differentials. Uh, they score a decent amount, don't give up a ton, but they have a real hard time winning hockey games. Like, What is it about? There? Are they just snake bitten, or is there something you're seeing in their process that doesn't add up? Yeah, uh, well, if you look at their goals in the last 10 games, they're down about you know 30% from their, their season average, and mm-hmm. they're, they're down over 20% in terms of expected goals also. So uh, there is some process to that, like you said, for sure. Um, maybe, again, not to the extreme of the results we're seeing, but there is something to that, no question. Um, and then defensively, I don't think they've fallen that much, but they're, they're letting in a lot more too. So... Um, you know, I, I saw today like there was people uh, polled uh, about the Vesna Trophy, and I saw Cam Talbot was third on the list. I was just like, "Whoa, that's you know, he's got nice numbers." But and again, a lot of it you, you play behind the team that's still first in expected goals against in the league, uh, despite the losing streak. Um, but I think they need they need another, another compliment to him and goal if they want to be a real contender as well. So yeah, they're they're giving up a lot more off the rush. That's that's kind of been hurting them defensively um, and offensively. They they for the most part haven't had a ton of even strength scoring from their bottom six. Um, and you know you've got guys like Dubois in that mix that you want to see some more offense from. So I think they'll turn it around. I still believe in that team. Um, but yeah, goaltending's been a part of it, no question. Mike, we uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Yeah, anytime, guys. Good catching up with you. Uh, there he is, Mike Kelly, at Mike Kelly NHL is where you can find him on Twitter and uh, find him at the NHL Network, sometimes on Sportsnet, and, uh, of course, with data from SportLogic as well. Kings are, uh, are a trouble team right now. They are. Uh, one win in their last 10. It's been a real rough go for them, so much so that uh, the Edmonton Oilers have caught them in winning percentage. Yeah. So it's, crazy. Uh, it's it's pretty wild. I mean, I guess that that that's what uh, what losing nine out of ten yeah. and winning eleven in a row will do. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it, well, it what's crazy is swing. like Edmonton's barely gained on the Canucks because Vancouver stayed hot while Edmonton yeah. has gotten hot. So, if I would have told you the Oilers would win eleven in a row and only make up five points on the Canucks, yeah, you'd say okay, I'll take that. Yeah. But that's essentially what it is. Canucks yeah. are seven two and one, and they had. I mean, they've only made up five points on the Canucks over this stretch. The uh, three best teams in hockey uh, since I think the f- December first are the Canucks, Oilers, and Winnipeg Jets. Mm-hmm. Not in that order. I think Edmonton is is top. Winnipeg would be number two, and Vancouver three. All three similarly have completely flipped the script on their defensive game. Yeah. It's not like the players changed all that much, Sat. No. 
No, it's, it's not. It's, it's just more of a commitment to defense as a team. Well, and, and like Mike mentioned, you can look at some of the data and be like, well, look at their scoring chances. The goals against, their expected goals don't look that bad. But when you're giving up like these odd man breakdowns, yeah. these horrible rush chances. Like all those games against the Oilers early in the season. Yeah, it's like your goalie has no chance. Like, yeah. and, and their goaltending has struggled. But you put any goaltender uh, out there and has to face, you know, numerous three-on-ones and two-on-ones. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, JT kind of addresses it in his piece with uh, with Ian McIntyre, and we're going to get back to some of your your great texts on uh, on JT Miller. Um, but in regards to the Canucks last year, you know, you start losing, you start pressing, and and him from a personal perspective, he says, you know, I try to do too much. I try to make up for for other mistakes, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to play within yourself as a, as a player, and. You know, that was it's JT was one of many that were trying to cover up the mistakes all over the ice. And you see that happening in Ottawa. You see that happening in in a lot of these places where they get down. The ball starts rolling against them. They know their season's slipping away from them. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's trying to do too much on the ice and things go really haywire. Yeah. And then once it completely gets away from you, then it's, yeah. it's done. Like there's nothing there's to more do talent on these teams than, than what they're showing. Oh, way more talent. I mean, these teams, they all have so much firepower yeah. like, and so much ability on their team. And, it's, and also just how you play defensively. Like, again, I mentioned this so many different times. People, I'm sure people are, are sick of hearing it, but like, I refuse to believe the Canucks were as bad as they were last yep. year in terms of from like a player perspective. Like you can't tell me that the players who are this talented and are in the NHL don't understand simple positioning. Yeah. And then remember the drills talk it had? It was looking like peewee drills. Like you literally, he was going through rotations, like simple rotations he was going through, like blowing his whistle and like making sure they hold tight gaps and have the sticks in the right lanes. And it's not like they don't know to do those things. It's like everything gets away from you so much. You're chasing the game that you forget about just doing the basics. How do I just get through this shift? How do I just get through this sequence? And if you just defend every sequence, shift by shift, I think it becomes easier. And now we see guys that live to fight another shift. You know, it's like, hey, just dump it in and get off the ice. Hey, nothing happened offensively, but I didn't give anything up defensively. Great. Get off and let somebody else get on without having to chase the game. That was a terrible first period. Let's get back to our staples and we'll, we'll, we'll regroup here. And we've seen the Canucks do that numerous times uh, through the course of this season. But, you know, the, the Canucks aren't the only example of a team that's kind of flipped the script on on what they were defensively. Again, there was too much talent on this team for them to be as bad as they were last year. And uh, we've seen it come around. But they aren't the only team like that, as uh, we've seen it with Edmonton and the Winnipeg Jets. I'm really curious when the Canucks do play Winnipeg later this year. Winnipeg, LA, like yeah. can't wait. And even next time they play Vegas. Yeah. You know, I think the Canucks are a different team than the last time they played Vegas. Vegas is really hurt though. They are. And that's you true. Know. But later in the season, they'll yeah. play they'll play, you know, when everybody gets healthy. They got Eichel, Carlson, Shea Theodore. Yeah. Like all of these guys are out right now for for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh so one thing Mike said that stood out to me there. The Garland, Bluger, and Joshua line is the third highest scoring line in the league for the last number of weeks, months, whatever it was he said, time frame. Garland was asked about what the the line should be named today, and uh, Murph had this quote on Twitter. Uh, There's no need to be naming third lines. There are only certain lines in the league that should have a name. I like the one in Boston, the perfection line. That one was pretty good. And the lotto line, when you score three goals a game, then you deserve a name. Well, you're the third highest scoring line in the league, Connor. Maybe maybe they do deserve a name, the third line for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, but he's not wrong in terms of ice time. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, Garland plays 1340. Like, he call him more than... Zach, can you ever give Garland his flowers? I'm giving his flowers. What is happening? No, no. I'm, I'm, the I'm, guy I'm... has been unbelievable. He's getting praise from everybody except you in this no, market. Listen, he's... Okay, you know what? <laughs> you know what, Reach? I'll say this. He's he's pretty much won me over this year with how he's played. I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about him. I, I can't criticize him. You know, hey, credit where it's due. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He's been fantastic. And even, you know, if he asked me a few weeks back, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, he's been great, but I'll still be open to moving him. But the way that line is going, like, why would you? Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, it, it's it's like it's cut your face, cutting off your nose to spite your face. Like, why would you break up one of the best lines in hockey? Like, it's helping you win games right now. Yes. We can revisit conversations in the offseason, sure. But as far as it goes right now, and that's a testament to how well Connor Garland's played. But, but, and this is not a, <laughs> this is not me crapping on him. It's literally saying, I understand what he's saying because he's not playing more than a third liner. He's playing 1340. Yeah. You know, so I think that's what he's getting at. It's like, hey, we have a specific role. We're playing it. We're not really. A, a top six line so like 
you know, and he's trying to take some, you know, spotlight off themselves and all that and just kind of fly under the radar and be good. That's something I know he's mentioned too, and I think he prefers that. But if you look at it from straight ice time, can you call him, you know, a top six player when he's playing 1340? They have the best third line in the league yes, right now. Absolutely. You know what? And uh, they're, they're winning that matchup. So we'll, we'll give them that. Um, and I'm glad to, to hear you finally come around <laughs> on, on Connor Garland, even just a little bit. Just a bit. Here uh, no, on the show, he's but been terrific. You're right. Like you know, the, the so much of the discussion was about trading Garland, especially with the the news that broke at, at the start of the season. Yeah. He's finally found a role for the first time in his Canucks career. He's found a role that suits him, and he's owning it. Yeah, and crushing it in that role. That line is crushing it. Bluger as well, and of course Joshua having a career season on top of that. Uh, producer Josh Elliott Wolf put a poll out on Twitter today uh, of what the line should be named, despite Connor Garland being like, no. Don't name us. We're, we're good. No, hey, here's the thing. We don't have to ask for permission. <laughs> like, we really don't need to ask for no, their permission. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> I don't think the lotto line was like, hey, do you guys like the lotto line? We're, we're going to start calling you the lotto. Like, no, no, it just happened. It just happened. Uh, anyways, the, the poll is uh, what, what the, the line should be named. Lifeline, the good job boys, the thirst line, or the no name line, which is currently uh, what, is, uh, what is winning the poll. The no name line. They're going to get like a yellow brand as well. That would be nice. Yeah. Just get 100%. the no name brand right on the right on the shirt for the no name line. That would be good. Uh all right. Coming up more on JT Miller and uh Lindy Ruff unnecessarily crushing reporters. I didn't quite get it when it happened. Didn't Ooh. quite love it. Didn't love it, but I mean, doesn't not show like how much heat he's feeling. Oh, he is uh he's on the hot seat right now. Lindy Ruff. Yeah, when you react to something like that, it it probably says more about how you're feeling than the question. Uh, All right, Jan Pro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact Jan Pro for a free, no obligation quote. Visit janpro.ca. Coming up, hour number two of Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. in on Canuck Central. Hour number two of the program is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device. For any industry, go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, We got so much reaction to uh, the JT Miller discussion off the top of the show. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to revisit some of this reaction and um it's it's look the the way things turned out for jt miller last year the uh the criticism got to a level that i felt was unfair early on last season because you know he just became sort of the uh the signal for all that was going wrong for the Canucks early on in the season, right? Yeah. You know, he would have bad giveaways, poor back checks, and, you know, he wasn't the only one doing that. It's just the entire team was having trouble, and he was maybe foremost amongst it. Yes. And when you're playing 20 minutes a night, there's no repercussions for any of your poor play. Fans are going to get mm. on you. And they did. Yeah. Some of it was warranted. Some of it, I felt, got to a point that was a little bit unfair. Plus, he had just signed a seven-year, $56 million extension. So that might have played a little bit of a part into it as yeah. well. With the captain who was on a 40-goal space uh, pace, not uh, not yet signed to a new contract in Bo Horvat at the time. But since then, since the coaching change, like JT's been a completely different player. Yeah. And he's been the same player in that you know the point production is still there. But he's not had those big mistakes, those very loud mistakes, nearly as often as he was early last year. No, and even when they have happened, they haven't been as costly yes. as last year. Yeah, so, he had the one, essentially the one game where he 
ended up getting benched for the final five minutes of the second period against Nashville yeah. early in the season. Took three penalties, two really bad ones, and uh, Rotok had sat him down yeah. for the last four and a half minutes or whatever, and then put him and back And he opened the third. the third period, and he scored a goal. Yeah, so I was like, all right, <laughs> message received. I think it's fine. They figured it out, right? But, and I think they've been able to harness it in a really positive way. And, you know, to the question of, like, why have some fans still not gotten over yeah. that or still don't kind of like JT. Well, Tiny Tim says it's the amount of childish tam- temper tantrums he had on the bench. Uh, and we're already feeling crappy as Canucks fans. He needs to have his attitude posit- positively affect the team in the playoffs, and then he'll be more beloved. And then also says, uh, what about the Canucks poker around Scott Lawton? Uh, I think the Flyers <laughs> have to lose first before that happens. Yeah. But And then Trucker James said something very similar. There's others, too. Essentially, he, he had the horrible giveaways, bad timing for taking penalties, attitude was poor, he has to keep his emotions in check, but he has to keep that going. But he's very impressed with how talk has brought that out of him. But even so, like... The answer from Trucker James, for, for instance, is more about like, hey, he still has to keep this up. Like maybe not fully convinced yet with yeah. JT, whereas others, well, they are convinced. Uh, it's still a long way to go. You know, he's got another six years assigned as a Vancouver Canuck. Essentially, what will be most of the rest of his career, assuming there is no trade somewhere down the line. But it's uh, it's been early returns, great early returns on JT Miller. And he's been a huge part of this Uh, turnaround for the Canucks this year. Larry from Vancouver. People don't appreciate JT Miller because they recall his prickly demeanor prior to his signing. In reality, that's what I love most about his game. Then it's the idea that his last few years on his contract won't be worth it. Give me a break. So essentially Larry's saying people are always finding a way to not be happy about JT Miller. It's, you know, that's sort of the thing, uh, the, the thing that pisses me off about the, the salary caps at, and, and we do it uh, because you kind of have to, but yeah. the repercussion of having a hard salary cap has been that every player gets judged on their contract. Yeah. And I like this player because he's not making that much money and he provides value on his contract or guy gets signed to a big contract and now he's being judged on said contract if he doesn't live up to it the knives are going to be out and for JT people don't like the contract the day that he signed it and the knives have been out ever since for a lot of people with with JT Miller and it's the unfortunate reality in the salary cap world yeah and I mean listen none of us know how the next six years of that contract are going to go I no. mean you know life is unpredictable you know form uh, can can fade things can go wrong who knows right power play production does age well and it JT does. has been one of the best power play players in the NHL yeah 100% and if you're asking me my personal opinion I'm not as worried about it I think yeah. because of his offensive skill set and how talented he is speed and the- isn't really necessary like the main part of his game. No, although like the fact that he does have a burst yes. and the fact that he can explode out of the, the gate is a real big part of you know how effective he is and, and a big part of why he's he's as good as he his is. His short area quickness is still very strong. Yeah, it really is, right? And he's so powerful with how he can skate when he gets going too. So there are a lot of those aspects, but I think his overall skill set is, is good enough. And I think that he can play the physical big game, that he can also play the wing, that as time goes on, he's still going to be able to be a, a high-level producer. You know, I feel pretty confident next few years at the very least. And again, you never know how year seven, eight, six, six or seven of a contract goes, but I wouldn't be as worried about it in terms of his overall production abilities. And I think that's the thing you look for more than anything else. If you're paying a guy big money is you got to produce. And I think JT has shown he's been one of the best and most consistent point producers in the National Hockey League since becoming a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, This text unsigned. JT needs playoff legacy before he'd be beloved. Kessler wasn't a fan favorite until he knocked Nashville out of the playoffs. I mean, if if you want to go down in Canucks lore, yes. Like, you have to do some big things in the postseason. Yeah. He only had one postseason in Vancouver and didn't even play in Vancouver. It was the bubble year. He was really good. But again, like I know that playoff doesn't really count for people because mm-hmm. they weren't there to see it. Like it wasn't, you know, this tangible experience people had on the market. Um, another text coming in on JT Miller. Uh, this from Whopper Man, the X-ray guy. Whopper Man. <laughs> I like it. I feel I owe JT an apology. I wasn't vocal about it, but when the JT signing and the Horvat trade happened, I thought that was a mistake. He has since won me over and has once again reemphasized why I watch games from my couch and not the GM's box. 
That's uh, from Whopperman, the X-ray guy. Yeah, man, we all have opinions. We can all be wrong. I mean, you know, nobody bats a, a thousand. You can always, you know, have a wrong take about something. And, it, and it's about, you know, you can admit that. And, you know, somebody else texted in and said the same people who are still sour on Miller are the same people that claim Miller wasn't worth a first rounder. To begin with, people just hate being wrong. And perhaps some of that for some, perhaps. I don't think that's a a uh, a wrong notion that comes in because I do think... You know, generally speaking, people love being right. They hate being wrong. And sometimes people will like, you know, they will logically, you know, turn, twist themselves into pretzels to still maintain their position because they don't want to be wrong. So I do think some of that is also true. Well, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a, I wouldn't say argument, disagreement with, with somebody on Twitter the other day in, in my, in my mentions. It wasn't a row. Uh, it was not a row. It was not a controversy. (laughs) It was, uh. It was it was simply just, you know, somebody essentially still not believing in the Canucks fully in that, oh, well, so what if they go to the playoffs, they'll be first round exit anyways. Yeah. And who wants that? To which like, I, I get it, you know, losing in the playoffs sucks. Watching your team as a fan mm-hmm lose in the playoffs sucks. You can tell yourself you're not that invested as much as you want. When the game starts, the puck drops, you know, you're going to be invested yeah. and the Canucks are going to be in a close game. Maybe they, they lose a, a heartbreaker in overtime. I don't know. Like you're still going to be heartbroken mm-hmm. by that. At the end of the day, only one team wins, but have we gotten to a point in, in where, you know, Yes, you had your initial take on JT that the Canucks shouldn't have traded for him when they did, so you could never, therefore, like JT as a player. Or you didn't think the Canucks were going to be good this year, so therefore you are just going to vehemently stand your ground and and not be convinced that they are a better team than you had predicted them to be. Or the third option, which is, is probably the scariest one, where we've talked about rebuilds and, and all this stuff for, for so long that... You can't enjoy when a team is good because you don't feel that this was done in the right way, that it's the way that it should have been done in order to build a hockey. Like, I I, I don't know. I just, yeah, playoffs end generally badly for yes. teams. So that's that's kind of part and parcel with following your favorite team, whatever sport it might be. I, I think there's this... And I don't think it's wrong. I think generally fans look at it too, especially with everything people know now about team building and you know the kind of the uh, the progression of um, I think planning for those things. And I think just in terms of how how the game is covered with analytics and knowing the you know uh, the primes of players, how they line up and how to go about it, and, and you know how to maximize it. And your goal shouldn't just be to win one Stanley Cup; it's to win multiple Stanley Cups. But this team has never won one. Like, put yourself in a yeah. position to win one. It's not, it's not, and I'm not saying, you know, build it for one year. What I'm saying is, like, it seems like everything gets judged on this academic pursuit of dynasties. Yes. And if you aren't able to build a dynasty, somehow you came up short in your team building process, which is, like, an impossible bar to live up to. And if that's your bar, 99% of the time, you're not going to meet it. So you always can say, ah, I told you. I told you. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, yeah, technically, but... It's a it's a it's a pretty hard thing to build, and, I, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that idea or that pursuit, but like it's not that simple, you know. Yeah. And windows can fade; they can open up. And if you look around the league, how teams really commit to young guys, like is is the best way to go about it the way Ottawa did it, for instance, signing all their young guys to these big long term contracts without anybody winning or showing any you know consistency in trying to be a good hockey team. Perhaps it pays off at some point, but in the meanwhile, they're missed the playoffs. What eight years in a row? Nine years in a row? Yeah. Buffalo thirteen years in a row? Yeah. It's, again, like it's it's not that simple. But I would say that to me is more of a minority opinion, right? Because I see a lot of fans and people texting in right now that are all in on this team and saying, you know, hey, I'm, I've I've been convinced. You know, I'm buying in. And, and people that were skeptical before are now saying, you know, I'm seeing the plan. I'm seeing the vision. We're seeing the success, and they're living through it. Well, it's it's just my my feel on it is like what's what's the alternative? Like sucking forever, <laughs> you know? So what? You lose in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, it happens. You know what? Guess what? The the Canucks finished second or third in the division 
your prize for finishing second or third. Right now, if the season were to end today, your prize for the season being over at this very moment in time, you get the Edmonton Oilers. You get a first-round date with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. How do you like them apples? You know, it, it, it's the reality of the NHL. Like, there's yeah. not a lot of bad teams. A lot of good teams end up making the playoffs. Just ask the Boston Bruins last year after losing, despite having the greatest season in NHL history and adding Tyler Batuzzi and Dmitry Orlov at, at the trade deadline. You know, you got to take risks. And uh, it, it's maybe a life lesson, uh, but <laughs> you can't do anything in life or, you know, you can't expect to just have all this success come to you without putting in the work. And... It has to be baby steps. Maybe the Canucks end up losing in the first round this year, but you're hoping that you're building something year on year and it's not just a one and done. Everybody seems to think like what's happened to the Maple Leafs happens to everybody. I mean, it's pretty much an anomaly what's happened with the Leafs here and like losing in such dramatic fashion in the first round and we've all laughed at it and that's why we all know about it. But in reality... They built a pretty good hockey team. It's been unfortunate that they're knocking on the door and not having success. You can't expect that for your team if they've been built pretty well and they're going to go to the playoffs. You know, you're like success is is difficult to come by. It is. Now, the one thing that you want to see is can you sustain can, can this as much as this might be your best chance, you don't want it to be your only chance. Yeah. And I don't think that's how the organization is going about it. Would they end up trading for a rental? It could happen. I'm not saying they, they may not trade for a couple of rentals, but I think the pursuit, if they're giving up a lot of assets or big assets, is to get players that fit in here. Because I don't think they view it as only this year. I think this is a year where you have to take advantage of it. You have to give yourself the best chance possible. And don't mortgage your future for rentals, but be aggressive in, in making your team better. Because you're not. this might be your best chance, but it can't yeah. be your only chance. You know what I mean? And sometimes when you win, it's not when you have your best chance. It's how things align for you. Winning, winning a Stanley Cup, man, as we've seen, so much luck is involved too, right? Things have to break for you. you know, there's so, so many things that go in your favor. You're going to have calls going in your favor that you need to happen, right? Like every single Stanley Cup winner has had a moment through every round where something went their way where they thought it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And once it did, it's like, oh, that made the difference. Yep. You know, and I remember, you know, hearing a lot of high-end players talk about this. I know Sidney Crosby once mentioned, like anytime they won a cup, like there were moments where they thought they're going to get knocked out. They thought, like, if this game goes wrong, maybe we're going to lose it here. And and then it didn't go that way. So a lot of things have to happen for you. But I don't think this organization's pursuit is to be all in for this year and and forget about the future. I think it's to give yourself the best chance now, but also ensure you have more chances over the next few years, too. Uh, The downside is not giving yourself the best chance for the next three to four years. Nothing suggests that this team is not thinking about the next three to four years. All of their public talk about this is about the next three to four years. Now, that's heavily dependent on Elias Pettersson committing to being a Vancouver Canuck, but that's another story for another day. And they have been responsible with how they've built this out, right? Like, they didn't go and sign free agents to these long-term deals to try and field a better hockey team this year. They made a lot of short-term bets, smart short-term bets that have really worked out. Uh, They just, they haven't done a lot that says they are going to overextend to try and uh, have a little bit of short-term success. And they've done a really good job of identifying players that will fit very well with their current group. And so I would think whatever they do do at the deadline falls in line with that sort of mantra. And I wouldn't expect too much different. Could that be Jake Gensel? Yeah, it could be. But I I just got a high level of confidence in this front office because of how they've gone about building this team and the way they've done it. And seemingly the way that they've um, managed the acquisition cost of a lot of the players they've brought, they've brought into this roster. Mm-hmm. Even if Heronic was the most expensive piece that they brought in, you know, you look at it now, you look at what right shot defensemen in that age range of that caliber go for, you know, in hindsight, you're like, yeah, that's probably the right price mm-hmm. <laughs> for what it costs to get that kind of a player. So nothing they've done to this point uh, seems like they are going to uh, do anything irresponsible when it comes to acquisition costs. Would the uh, the most uh, and I want I wouldn't classify it as reckless because 
it was done with a lot of thought yeah. and reason would be the OEL buyout. Right. It's the most aggressive thing they've done. You're right. They traded a first and a second. Now, they didn't trade away their own first. Like They acquired that first. You know what I mean? So they still traded a first. They still traded their own second, for sure. But they had two first-round picks. Yeah. It was essentially trading Horvat for Horonic. Yes. How that deal kind of you know ends up shaking out, essentially. It's the OEL buyout. And you got all the cap space this year. You have a decent amount of cap space next year. Eventually, it'll be $4 million. The hope is the cap's going to go up and everything. But... Like, that's the only thing you can point to and say, that's something they did that was very aggressive and perhaps short-term motivated. Because there is a cost to it down the road. Yes. There is a, um, you know, they, they've minimized the impact of the cap increasing in the future by buying out Oliver ekman Larson, And what they've done to their credit is given themselves a chance this year. So it's not like they just cleared that money up and it's like, hey, you cleared it up for short-term gain, now you're paying for it later, and what was it for? Yeah. Like, it seems like the way it's gone so far, and hopefully it continues, it's like you gave yourself a real chance by doing so. So that risk is mitigated by the success you're having so far this season because it turned out to be the right decision, at least for now. And they're having a lot of success to this point. Uh, some fans uh, maybe not ready to believe in the team after just 40 games. I mean, they've got 106 points through 80 games with Rick Tockett. Yeah, it's a little I, bit more than 40 games. Again, I think I think ultimately, and I think it's a fair question. If we're talking about okay, is this team a bona fide top two, three contender in the NHL, or are they in the category of a team that could win? Right, and I still think they're in the category of a team that could do something if things align for them. Yeah, but they're not quite there yet in terms of where those other teams quite are. So if that's the the bar, sure. But I don't. Again, like I don't think you can dismiss what they've done and say, oh, this team is just a playoff team, a bubble team that's having a good run and they're not going to have any chance whatsoever in the postseason. Like, I don't think that's what they are. I think it's more about they're proving to be a team that could do something. And that's far more than any of us envisioned going into the season. Yeah. Like, that's not a slight in, in the least. Like, going into the year, a lot of projections had this team being at, what, 92, 94 points? Yeah. Kind of bubble team, right? Maybe they get in, maybe they don't get in. And I don't think most fans at that time would have taken too much offense to that. Sure, you know, fans that were higher on the team thought they would make the playoffs. You know, you had them top three in the division, for instance. You know, I had them being a wild card team. But a lot of people thought, okay, maybe they get in, right? They've exceeded all those expectations. Mm -hmm. So for for us to say, you know, they're a team that's in that next tier below the first tier is not a diss. It's, It's still a massive leap of where you were to where you are today. And I'll say it again, I just don't see who's really separating themselves from the pack in the NHL these days. Um, the Eastern Conference, you know, the Rangers, I think they have their flaws, right? And we saw the Canucks uh, go toe-to-toe with them on a couple of occasions this year. Boston, I think, you know, Boston's similar to, to Vancouver where uh, there's some things that you kind of wonder about how they're going to sustain as the year goes on. They've gotten really good goaltending and they don't defend as well as they have in years past but it's working they have fewer than 10 regulation losses they're the only team in the league still like that so boston's been really good and then in the west like i still think vegas is probably the best team when they are fully healthy they are not fully healthy right now no they're not and will they be fully healthy right and and again when you the disclaimer for health is one for every team yes like how the how it looks for the canucks today could be a lot different next week They've you know been I mean? very fortunate health-wise, the yeah. Vancouver and, Canucks. And listen, you need to have good fortune. You know, that, that's not to say you you, uh, you minimize what they've done. Like you need things to go your way to have a successful season. It's just reality. So uh, there's one thing I wanted to get to. You know, speaking of a lot of the good teams, one of the teams that is uh, wildly missed as uh, their <laughs> expectations coming into the season, the New Jersey Devils, after, you know, bursting onto the scene last year, having a successful playoff... They have really struggled this year, the New Jersey Devils have. And through 42 games, they have 47 points. They are second last in the Metro Division. So way down there. Okay. They still have a chance at making the playoffs, of course. They're only two points out of the second wild card. There's a lot of teams Mm -hmm. bunched up in the Eastern Conference. But with Lindy Ruff... He's clearly feeling the heat a little bit right now. And yesterday, the New Jersey Devils end up 
losing to the Montreal Canadiens. Alexander Holt scored the tying goal and then was benched for pretty much the rest of the game, to which a reporter asked a question to Lindy Ruff. Let's hear the answer. With Holtz, just two shifts after his, uh, obviously, game-tying goal, what, what went into that? Um, again, uh, you don't watch the game very well. So if you look Harsh. at the opportunity in the second period where he threw a puck in the middle of the ice to get a point-blank scoring chance, it, in a tight game, in a, in a one-goal game, you, it's, it's plays like that that we're trying to get back in the game, and I dropped down to three lines. Um, we happen to get back in the game. He understands, like we, we're, we're trying to eliminate the pucks that go into the middle of the ice, that the puck management part. So when you make a play like that, then it's gonna be hard to get back on the ice. We just give him a quality scoring chance off a play where we put it in the middle of the ice, where we don't need to put it in the middle of the ice. Uh, yeah, I like this power play goal, a couple other things I like, but is he gonna make the same play again? That's uh, Lindy Ruff. So when I've you don't watch the games very well, what a way to start the answer! You could have just answered the question. Well, I know. And then the funny thing is, like he says that, and then he gives a thoughtful answer. It's like what? If if it does, if you're going to give a thoughtful answer, why not? Yes. Again, like to me, it shows how much pressure he's under, how stressed he is, yes. right? You know, and, and I get it. It's it's one of those things, right? Like it's it doesn't come from a place that I think of him wanting to be mean. I don't know. I don't know Lindy Ruff well, but. It was a real jerk thing to say, but I mean, like, it, like for when I first saw the clip, I just saw his answer. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I mean, I want to hear the question. Maybe like, the question was weird. Maybe the question was like, hey, this guy's been so like, I don't understand. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe it came off as biting, or maybe it was yeah, rude. Yeah. It was the most soft-spoken, <laughs> gentle question ever. Like he's like, he oh, scored the tying goal, goal, and he played two shifts after. What? What's your thinking behind that? Yeah. Like, what's What's so bad about that question? Literally just asking, like, didn't didn't give an opinion. No. Stated a fact. Yeah. And then just asked about that. It's like, hey, maybe you can, you know, shed some light on this. Like for instance, like if for in, like if Brock Besser mm-hmm. did that and then got benched. People would, in his rookie season, people would have asked, okay, why? <laughs> okay, makes sense. You gave the answer. Okay, fine. Like, that's what yeah. you saw, right? Sure, I mean, the, the reporter can say what he saw, but he's he wants you to talk about it. Yes. Like, it's, it's a very fair question to ask. Um, it, it was about as textbook the way you would want to answer that question or ask that question. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure why uh, Lindy Ruff is jumping down that guy's throat like that. It might be a great clip to isolate and keep around just uh, just for the future. Yeah. Well, you don't watch the games very well. <laughs> Tyler says, was that an audio clip of Talk It talking about Kuzmenko? <laughs> Jokes for 60. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I get the answer, you know. Um, we leave the pucks away from the middle of the ice. But uh, Lindy Ruff, uh, feeling the heat. He's on the hot seat right now. But it's just so funny. Like, I, just lo- I love the rip on the reporter and then give a really thoughtful, nice, <laughs> yes. thorough answer. It's like he felt bad. <laughs> Maybe he did. <laughs> you don't want, I mean, because like, he didn't offer an opinion. He literally just asked a question. Like, how, how can you say you don't watch the game well when somebody's literally just asking you, you know, what your decision is? Like, what goes, what goes into your yeah. thinking here? Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I think Lindy Ruff might have just revealed that he uh, has a burner account on Twitter that he's watching what all the Devils reporters are saying about the Devils. You no, know that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> All right, coming up, we'll hear from uh, Rick Tockett after the morning skate on Canuck Central.